0: Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi everyone, thank you so much for joining today. Today we have on a really special guest. Her name is Joy Cole and Joy is 81 years old. She comes to us from North Carolina and this episode is really interesting from a couple of different standpoints first joy has had a number of health issues through her life and a lot of those issues have been greatly improved through intermittent fasting so we get into that a little bit also i just think it's really interesting to hear about how somebody that might be older can pick up intermittent fasting and joy goes through her fasting schedule how she eats she's very detailed about those things if you're curious And she also speaks a lot about her perspective on life at her age. She's lived quite a beautiful and full life. It was such a pleasure to speak to Joy. And I know you will get a lot out of this episode and I can't wait for you to hear it. Hi, Joy. So nice to see you. Thank you so much for being with me today. Well, thank you, Lucy, for inviting me. I really am
1: excited about sharing my story uh, in your podcast and I'm very excited about your podcast.
0: Yes, and you've done a lot of preparation for this podcast, and I can't wait for all the listeners to hear your fantastic story. So before we get into it, would you mind giving us a bit of a background about yourself?
1: Yes, sure. Um, I was born and raised in Ohio, and um, just before I turned 13, my parents moved to Pittsburgh. So I was in Pittsburgh for junior and senior high school, and then I went to the University of Pittsburgh and got my BS in nursing there. And one month after I graduated, I married the love of my life, and he was from North Carolina. So we moved back here to his home in North Carolina, where I've lived ever since, except for two wonderful years in South Florida. Loved South Florida. (laughs) Um, But uh, we have two beautiful married daughters, and they've given us five beautiful grandchildren, um, and those ages are 20 to 29 and three of the five of them have lived with me at some point in the last eight years for over a year. I've got, yes, it's been a real privilege um, to get to know them as adults, and um, I currently have uh, Jake living with me. who's 25 and brought his 55-pound dog with him, (laughs) so um, Jake's been with me over a year now and um, is still um, trying to get into his what he wants to do uh, permanently. So I'm not sure how long I'll have him here, but I enjoy him. So that's been a really neat experience. Um, Back when our girls were junior high age, um, I went to work full time as a long-term care nurse, both in administrative and staff development positions. And I retired at 59 in 1999. And then I worked with my daughter uh, who owned her own event planning company. I was her business manager until my husband retired a couple years later. Over the years, um, we loved to travel. Uh, We had a camping trailer, uh, many different camping trailers as the girls grew up, and actually went into all of the states east of the Mississippi by the time they graduated from high school. So um, after he retired, we bought us a little motor home. And our lifetime dream was to visit all 50 states. And that's exactly what we did. Um, we headed west in the motor home for several trips. And uh, the last state that we had to go to that we missed was Alaska. We debated using the motorhome and decided to do an Alaskan cruise instead. So that was our 50th state. We flew to Hawaii. We didn't take the motorhome to Hawaii. <laughs> um, so, but less than a month after our Alaskan cruise, my husband was paralyzed instantly with an aorta dissection. And uh, it was a huge shock. Uh, He was healthy one minute and paralyzed the next. So I cared for him for his last four and a half years. And I lost him in uh, 2012 after our 48th wedding anniversary. I loved him deeply and it, it was and still is a big loss for me. So, but I enjoyed. I've enjoyed my family. I still enjoy my family. My girls just love me to death, and and cater to me. Um, I enjoyed my nursing career, even though it was very challenging and exhausting at times. And of course, I was thrilled that we could knock out our bucket list by visiting all 50 states. So that was uh, really. Um, uh, I just feel like I've had a wonderful life. And I celebrated my 81st birthday in August. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you.
0: (laughs) Wow. You've lived quite a life just hearing you speak about all the things that you've done in your life. I mean, you've had an extremely full life. I'm sorry about the loss of your husband. I'm sure that was devastating given how long you were together, but it seems like you've found a new purpose in your life, which we'll definitely get into in a little bit in the meantime before we circle back to that, maybe you can just go into a little bit more about your health background. You've been struggling with health issues for a large part of your life. And I think a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, maybe can can resonate with that. Maybe they've been facing health issues for large parts of their life. It's not only diabetes, you've had other issues as well. Maybe you can talk us through just kind of what you've experienced during your life and where you are now.
1: Okay, well, I've had several health health issues actually from the time I was a child. Um, I've been overweight since I was in fifth grade. I had to wear chubby dresses, which were always plaid and ugly as could be. Um, and um, then later in life, uh, probably after my mid thirties, I gradually started adding weight to the point where I became obese. It was a slow process, in spite of every diet known to mankind. I continued to gain weight. Well, I would lose with these little diets and then gain it back plus more. So obesity has been an issue for me all my life. Uh, Another issue I've had all my life is fibromyalgia um, from childhood. I remember uh, as a child is when the polio pandemic was so big. And one of the big symptoms of polio was stiff necks. And I would easily get stiff necks. And it petrified me and my mother um, every time that I was coming down with polio. And then I um, had a lot of, over my um, teenage years, uh, I would have a lot of aches and pains, but they never developed into anything. So by the time I got to nurse's training, I had labeled myself as a hypochondriac that I had all these pains that just never went anywhere. And mother also had them. So she was also a hypochondriac in my mind. And it wasn't until 1987 that the medical profession came out with a diagnosis of fibromyalgia for what all these aches and pains were. So it was it was a relief to me to know that I wasn't a hypochondriac after all, and neither was my mother. But the fibromyalgia um, just stayed with me, especially in nurses' training and in nursing with the heavy lifting and everything, I, I really pretty much stayed in pain and had a lot of stiffness and fatigue. So that was big in my life. Um, About my mid forties, I developed hypertension. Um, I'm sure it was related to the stress in the career, but I was on a strong medication for my um, high blood pressure for quite a few years. Um, And then I also, about 15 years ago, Developed gluten and casein intolerance. Uh, Casein is the protein in dairy. So basically, I have been gluten free and dairy free for the last 15 years. And um, that uh, took a while, it took an adjustment in itself. So, um, especially with the gluten, I mean, that's wheat. So, uh, and then the gluten free products are actually higher in carbs than the weed products because they have corn and rice and potato starch in them. So I I really had had addressed that. Um, I'm a survival of breast cancer. I've been cancer free for five years after my treatments. And uh, I, of course, being a nurse, had osteoarthritis in both knees from all those years going up and down the halls. Um, and that led to two knee replacements in 2020. And then the other one was just this past March in 2022. Um, I also experienced angina <clears throat> for a number of years and had a lot of cardiac tests done and they could not find the cause of the angina. Uh, I had a handicapped uh, parking ticket for the because of the angina. So um, that was, you know, very uncomfortable for me. And of course, the reason why we're, at this podcast today is because of my diabetes. Um, I developed a uh, pre diabetes in 2013. Um, I've been watching my fasting blood sugars creep up and um, knowing I had diabetes in the family, I was, you know, aware of them. But um, back in my nursing career days, type 2 officially didn't start until the fasting blood sugar was 120. And just as I retired in 1999, in that in 1998, 1999, they changed that 120 to 100. But most of my fasting sugars were between 105 and 120. So I just kept with my 120 figure and thought I was good, except that. My physician didn't. <laughs> so the day she put IFG on my chart as a diagnosis, I, I faced the reality: IFG impaired fasting glucose. Actually, you know, there's really three terms for for this: uh, the IFG pre diabetes or type two. All three of them are, if you know, can be used.
0: Right. Yeah, that's quite a list of issues that you've had, and then obviously to he dealt the blow of pre-diabetes, type 2, IFG, whatever you want to call it. That was probably pretty devastating at the time when that happened. And obviously you you knew what the implications were given your exposure to the medical field. When you were diagnosed with impaired fasting glucose, what was the treatment protocol that you were put on at that time? Well,
1: um, I had an annual routine lab work done every year um, and then um i looked actually went back to my records to see what my fastings and not and non-fasting fasting blood sugars were and unfortunately with my records i could not tell which ones were fasting which ones were non-fasting but for the last 10 years or so my readings ranged from 160 but that was only once uh, down to 105 and um, i usually averaged between 120 and 105. So um, my doctor ordered my first A1C in 2013 when my fasting blood sugar was up a little bit. I had no symptoms. I was aware of my family history. Um, And that first A1C was Uh, 5.8. 5.7 to 6.4 is is the range for type 2 diabetes. So um, I was in that range. (laughs) But at that point, we just did diet and exercise. And um, mostly diet, not much exercise. Um, And later, uh, probably within the next six months or a year, my A1C hit 6.1. And at that point, she put me on metformin. Um, Of course, I was very happy. I, I lost weight on the metformin, but it made my fibromyalgia pain much worse. And it took me three or four months to. Even begin to think that the metformin might be the cause of my pain increase. But eventually, at six months, she and I discussed it and we decided to stop the metformin and see if the pain got better. And it did. So we kept, I stayed off of that for quite a while. And then my A1C went back up to 6.1. So we tried the metformin again. And of course, it didn't take me long that time to know that it was, in fact, The problem uh, with my pain. So, um, my A1Cs were running consistently between 5.8 and 6.1. They never went above 6.1. So, she and I decided that we would just sit tight as long as the A1Cs didn't get worse and keep checking them. And I would just work with diet and exercise. So, they stayed in that range until October of 21, last year. Over two and a half years after starting IF, it was 5.6. Wow. And I was ecstatic, ecstatic to see it in the normal range. And she actually immediately took me off of, uh, took the diagnosis off of my list. And I think she knew I was doing the intermittent fasting. She's watching my weight go down. Um, the A1Cs were still staying, staying between 6.1 and 5.8, but um, she was, I think she knew then that I was good. So and then, and then this past April it went down to 5.2. So uh, which I was really shocked because we had just had Easter with family and sweets and I was expecting it to be higher. So when it was 5.2, it dawned on me. My pancreas was functioning again as it should. Incredible. It was. It was just so exciting to think about that. Um the doctor never did feel like I needed to do daily finger sticks or glucose monitoring, you know, or anything like that. She did have me do one five-hour glucose fasting test early on, and that verified my diagnosis at that point of IFC uh, IFG. So um so anyhow, um that was just a wonderful awakening that the pancreas was working better
0: fantastic that's an amazing story that you had where you tried the metformin it was making you sick didn't Mm -hmm. put two and two together got off it had to get back on it and then finally found fasting and were able to get off it completely that's that's incredible and i'm glad that you were able to to figure that out so that you didn't have to try something else or who knows what in order to get your a1c back down again now in terms of finding fasting maybe you can just the listeners how you found fasting and especially were there any concerns about fasting due to your age how did your doctors react to that what was sort of the the trajectory of finding fasting to implementing it and and all that good stuff
1: well i was 77 and my daughter my local daughter um also has struggled with obesity all her life but she started losing weight and she introduced me to dr fung intermittent fasting. Of course, as a nurse, (laughs) my immediate response was, oh, it's dangerous to skip breakfast. You can't skip a meal. You need three nutritional meals a day. That's what I was taught nurses training. But later I ate my words. (laughs) Um, But initially I was very worried about her doing the fasting and she was doing some long fastings, which really did concern me. Um, But then she started talking about her increased energy level, her weight loss, and how good she felt. So she handed me the obesity code, which I read. And before I ever finished reading the book, I became a believer. I understood what was behind all this. And so after um, doing um, the, I started at, at age 77. Um, And after doing it a month or two uh, at my next six month checkup with my my physician, I told her what I was doing and she was horrified, horrified. Um, She um, but she listened to me and she knew I was a nurse. And so she trusted me. So she basically said, well, we'll just watch your numbers and you've lost some weight already. So, you know, let's just see where this goes. She was very open-minded really, after she was (laughs) over the initial shock. And then the next visit with her, I did take her a couple uh, printouts of studies supporting um, IF uh, helping diabetes. And she read those, she she read anything I gave her. So she was extremely impressed with the whole thing. Um, She was impressed with my weight loss and my test numbers two years later. Unfortunately, she moved to another practice this past year, so she has not seen me at the 75-pound loss and at the A1C 5.2, which I'm disappointed about. I keep thinking I need to contact her and let her know because she really was following that.
0: I'm sure she'd be very impressed with your results. And a little bit later, we'll talk about your weight loss, but I can only imagine what she'd have to say to you. Maybe we can talk a little bit about your fasting protocol and how it's evolved over time. How many meals do you eat in a day? What's your eating window like? I know you have some thoughts about snacking, which maybe you can touch on a little bit. So so maybe you can talk about those things a little bit.
1: Well, as I said, I was 77 and I started the 18th, six fasting um that's what i started with uh, my the longer fasts just didn't interest me at all at that point of course uh it was tough to get used to the eighteen six. um actually that wasn't as bad as the no snacks between meals that was the hardest part for me especially my 11 p.m snack <laughs> i'm a night owl i don't go to bed until 12 30 and one so about 11 every night, I'd mosey out to the kitchen and open the pantry door and see what I could munch on. And believe it or not, that was the biggest, one of the biggest struggles I've had with IF was, was getting off of that 11 p.m. snack. It was a real challenge. I had to talk myself out of the snack every night. Um, and it didn't take long, maybe a week uh, before I was okay with not snacking. But But, you know, I really almost felt like it was withdrawal from that, you know, from that habit. So that that was my first um, major struggle and really my only major struggle since I'm a night owl. I don't get up till 930 or 10 so I can have a cup of coffee or two before I eat lunch at noon without any problems. So the two meals a day was really not a deal for me. Um, but i knew i would have skin issues of uh, losing weight this is the elasticity of the skin is practically gone at my age so i did make the decision uh, early on to to lose weight slowly and went with the 186 most of the time with an occasional 24 hour one meal a day um, but i did not ever eat uh, do any fasting more than uh, once more than one meal a day so so i ate my dinner by six. PM and then didn't eat anything until after twelve the next day. Just had the black coffee in the morning. Uh, Lunch became a challenge for me. Uh, Lunch is usually sandwiches, (laughs) and um, I was not wanting bread, so I mostly stuck. We have a local sausage company that makes wonderful pork sausage with no preservatives, so my lunch was often, at first, uh, a couple pieces of that sausage and two eggs. And um, so that that uh, worked well until I got into more problems with inflammation, where I, I ended up having to back off the sausage a little bit. Today, for instance, I had two hard-boiled eggs and a kind bar. That was my lunch. And that's 10 carbs. You know, the eggs are a little less than one carb each, and the kind bar the um, net carbs on, on the kind bar I eat is uh, just nine. And I'll talk about that more in a minute. But um, anyhow, so lunch, lunch has always been a little bit of a challenge for me. Um, but I do eat tuna salad or chicken salad. I've, I've learned to get a few other things in there, but I, I do miss the sandwiches. Um, the other thing that helped me with this whole uh, fasting was writing down every morsel I put in my mouth that journal helps so much. And um, I was really shocked at how many carbs I was consuming in a day when I started writing them down. I really thought I was doing better than I was. So I addressed that issue by actually going down to as little as 20 to 40 carbs in 24 hours. Yeah. Um, And um, I uh, really didn't have much problems doing that. Um, It, it, um, It was amazing to me that, uh, and I don't know the time frame on this, but it wasn't long after I went down to those low carbs that I no longer craved sweets. Um, That, when I realized that, um, that was to me a major accomplishment. (laughs) So and then as far as writing things down, um, eventually it got down to a science where I knew what I could eat, and what I couldn't. So I didn't write down my um, intake for after maybe three or four weeks. So anyhow, my meals ended up being meat and low carb veggies. Uh, If I ate any carbs, I ate them with my meals so that the pancreas had no work to do any other time except during those two meals or that one hour in there for the meals and it usually wasn't even an hour so I also had no problem eating out um, I was eating out a lot with my friends before the pandemic and not as much of course during the pandemic but I simply avoided the rice peel off the baked potato and the rolls and stuck to a meat and two veggies and I was quite satisfied so I never had a problem at all eating out um, but with it was just so great to uh, not crave sweets. I, I never forget. Um, I was watching others eat desserts at bridge clubs and uh, or wherever, and they were always scrumptious looking desserts. And I just sat and made, drank a cup of coffee or drank a glass of water. And the women would say, Oh, you have such good willpower. Oh, it's so wonderful. And I'm like, No, nope, it's not about that. But I didn't explain it to them because I knew they wouldn't understand. But once I got the carbs down, I just didn't crave those sweets. I, I looked at those wonderful desserts and it didn't bother me a bit to drink my cup of coffee while they ate their desserts. So um, that was really good for me. So, so within a week of, um, and this I do remember, um, the time frame, uh, within a week of starting the 18-6 routine, my energy level increased significantly. Now, this is just a real boost for me because of my history of the fibromyalgia. With all the, I've always had fatigue. I lived with fatigue from grade school on. And so to have any kind of energy was unreal. And it, it was just a real significant uh, improvement for me. So that was very encouraging for me to keep it up. Um, and then I did... Um, attend Tai Chi classes for a couple years before the pandemic at 10 a.m. And um, when I started IF, I'm like, oh dear, can I really do that hour of exercise without any food on my stomach? But finally I got brave and went one week with just my bottle of water and no food in my stomach. And I was shocked at how much better I did in Tai Chi. I was shocked at my energy level and even my movements because my pain wasn't as bad. So you know, so that was that was the end of eating before Tai Chi. Um, I never did do a keto or any special diet. Uh, I I just watched my carbs. I wasn't hard on myself. Um, I'd have a few bites of gluten-free birthday cake or dessert when it was served with a meal for for family gatherings and family birthdays and whatnot. But I, um, you know, I just washed my carbs. Three years after starting uh, intermittent fasting in January of this year, um, I had lost a little over 75 pounds. And that averages out to only 25 pounds a year or one pound every two weeks. (laughs) Uh, But it was a weird weight loss. Um, I would go sometimes as long as two weeks with no changes on a plateau and then lose two or three pounds in a couple of days, or maybe for a week, I would lose a pound every day. Uh, there was no rhyme or reason when I stepped on the scales to figure out how this weight loss was working. So I just learned to trust the system, to trust the lifestyle change and go with it. Um, I do hope to lose a, a, a little more weight. I'm already five pounds less than my original goal. But at some point, I realized that there really shouldn't be a goal. Uh, my body will tell me when I'm at the right weight. And um, I have maintained the 75 pound loss since January, which is over eight months at this speaking. So, and to maintain, um, I did 14 and 16 hour fasts with supper usually by six, with the big no snacks between those two meals. It was, it, to me, that's just so major with intermittent fasting, no snacks between those two meals. Um, and I maintain my weight loss with about 60 calories a day, carbs a day, rather than the 20 to 40. I did up my carbs a little bit and I maintained the weight. I watched the weight very carefully when I added the carbs and, and it never made a difference. So, But I have uh, recently, just actually two days ago, went back to the 186 um, as i want to lose more weight and the timing's right the summer family gatherings are behind me the summer birthday parties are behind me and the holidays are a few months away so i figured i only need to take off a few more pounds and i can do that in the next couple months so i have gone back to the 186 this is my third day of it and um i actually have dropped a pound already this morning i checked so, uh, my body is reacting well to the eighteen six, and the lower cap cards.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty incredible. You you really laid out a, a, a very solid and comprehensive foundation for how you go about things. You're very methodical in your approach, and I just want to touch on a couple things that you said when you were explaining how you're doing things. Number one, I really like the fact that you're a daily eater. A lot of people that come on this podcast do extended fasting where they may fast for several days. But for you, you wanted to lose weight slowly. And it's funny because you say you you lost weight really slow. 25 pounds a year doesn't seem that slow to me. But for you, maybe you could have done it faster if you felt like it. But uh, that, that seems like a very reasonable pace to lose weight. And I also really like the, what you talked about, about not craving the sugar as much anymore when you went low carb. I think a lot of us experience that. And for people that are listening that maybe have just started doing something that's a little lower carb, it does take a little while for your body to adjust to it. But once you get in the groove of it, you're right. You don't really crave that sugar anymore. And plus you notice a difference in the way you feel when you eat those things versus when you don't feel those things. At least for me, that's one of the things that I really that's why I don't do it anymore. Cause I know if I eat that thing with a lot of sugar in it, I'm going to pay for it. Maybe mm-hmm. people that don't have diabetes don't have the same thought process, but for us, we just know we're going to have a high blood sugar. We're not going to feel good. Mm-hmm. So why, why torture ourselves and hurt our bodies? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so I really, I really appreciate that. And then the other thing I wanted to just touch on real quick was I like your message about the no snacking between the meals. If you have a longer eating window, I think, especially people that are new to the process, they may think, "Oh, well, I have an eight-hour eating window, so I can just eat constantly for eight hours." But you really can't. If you do that, you're going to end up not losing weight or even gaining weight, depending on what you're mm-hmm. eating. So I love those those aspects of your message. So that that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and normally I hold this question to the to the end, but since we were we're on so heavily in this topic of intermittent fasting, I wanted to ask especially for people that may be a little bit older, do you have any advice or tips related to intermittent fasting that, that maybe that can help get them started, especially if they're facing a, a diabetes diagnosis?
1: Oh, yes. <laughs> um, well, first of all, uh, let me just respond to what you said as far as the um, uh, not craving sweets anymore. Um, it took me a while to realize that you know it's it, it was a sort of a slow process i suspect because all of a sudden one day i suspect it was on bridge club sitting there watching everybody eat and i'm like whoo i don't i don't care if i eat that or not you know so anyhow that is a gradual thing um oh yes i have discovered the magic of peppermint tea <laughs> and i actually on um, uh, dr Fung's facebook page have recommended that to folks who complain about their hunger. Um, but if I do get hungry, which is rare, uh, at 3.30 or 4, um, I will drink a cup or, or two of hot peppermint tea with nothing added. You don't have to add anything with peppermint tea. It's wonderful. I use organic when I can get it, and, um, but I, it doesn't need to be organic. And I've also discovered that it's very helpful for nausea. Um, initially, when I started the fast in the mornings, I would get nauseated when I was hungry. And so the tea took care of that. Um, so I really um, use a lot of peppermint tea, still mainly because I enjoy it now. Another item I use is fried pork rinds. Now I'm here in North Carolina and there are lots of fried pork rinds on the grocery shelves. I don't know if they're all over the country or not, but they are zero carbs. And um, though I've read somewhere that they still make the pancreas work, I decided to go with the zero carbs part. (laughs) Uh, I've not researched that too much because I really don't want to know. But what I know is that a few of them will kill my hunger and also kill my appetite. Uh, I eat less if I eat um, four or five crunchy pork rinds um, an hour before I supper and they um, really stick with me. I also use olives, which are also zero carbs, for salty snacks. Um, the pork rinds are salty and crunchy, so they they are good when you want a potato chip. But um, I also enjoy my olives, so those are uh, two things that I grab onto occasionally. Um, a while after I started maintenance, I found myself eating a kind bar with my coffee at 9 30 or 10. Um, and it didn't affect my weight at all. But then I was eating lunch a couple hours later, and it finally dawned on me that I was snacking. Um, that sneaks up on us when we're maintaining. And um, so anyhow, um, I am holding off on that kind bar and I eat it with my lunch when I eat it. Uh, I've only found one kind bar that I feel fits in with my low carb diet. And that's the dark chocolate nuts and sea salt one. Uh, It has 16 carbs and five sugars, only five sugars, which is really great, Um, but it has seven fibers. So I use the fibers to knock down my carbs to the net carbs. And um, uh, so therefore I count that kind bar as my net carbs, with the seven fibers. Uh, my daughter tells me i'm cheating when i do that but it works <laughs> whatever works for me so um and and it's not enough to make me crave sweets those 5 grams of sugar is not enough to change my craving so and i'm also a chocoholic, and that need doesn't seem to go away with if <laughs> like the sweet craving does um so i do use the 72% intense dark chocolate squares occasionally as desserts when I'm in the mood for dessert or in the mood for chocolate Um, because one square has a little less than five grams of carb and slightly less than three grams of sugar. So it's, isn't enough to make me crave the sweets, but it's enough to satisfy my chocolate needs. So Um, I, I do enjoy that. Um, And I, I do avoid most fruits. Um, because of the carbs and sugars in them. Um, I tend to, when I do eat fruits, it's the blueberries, the blackberries, the raspberries. They seem to have the least amount of carbs and sugar. Um, but I take a variety of supplements and um, and that includes vitamin C. So I, I am covered with that.
0: That's, that's a great uh, overview of kind of how you eat. And we're going to get a little bit more into that in, in a second. But I think it's a really important message that you've done a lot of trial and error with your own body your own fasting schedule and you do what works for you you have the square of chocolate you have the kind bar and you've decided which one fits your lifestyle you do the tea to help curb your hunger i think that's a you know nobody can prescribe to you what is going to end up helping you through your fasts what's going to help you lose weight all these things it's sort of something you kind of have to figure out on your own and everybody has their own preferences in terms of what they like to eat It's just, it's a lot of, like I said, trial and error. And I think that you've laid this out very nicely. You've sort of have like a system in place, which which seems to be totally working for you. So that's fantastic. Maybe we can talk a little bit more, dive a little bit more into your diet. And obviously you were saying that you eat, you know, you keep it to pretty low carb. Have you always been that way? Or, you know, I, I know that you're a meat lover. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what your diet looks like today.
1: Sure. Um, I do want to say this in regards to the kind bar and the chocolate. I think if we deny ourselves all of that, we're not going to make it. You know, I think we have to treat ourselves with the, uh, something like that, too. Um, so we just don't feel like we're totally uh, off of sweets or off of chocolate. So um, I, I don't think it, it would work for me if I knew I could not touch my chocolate. <laughs> Um, And I am totally into low carbs. I wasn't, obviously. That's why I was obese. Um, I loved gooey things. I loved cake and biscuits and uh, white sauce uh, over uh, meats and whatnot. And all those are definitely gone. Um, Some because of my gluten issue and my dairy issue. But um, I am totally into low carbs now because... I know it's gonna hurt me in so many ways if I don't stick with it, like you said. Uh, I don't wanna damage my pancreas again. My pancreas has worked hard to heal up and I just don't wanna damage it. I I don't want the additional pain and stiffness anymore. Um, I'm basically pain-free for the first time in my life since my knee replacement in March. That was my last big pain thing. Um, And um, and with my inflammation level better, um, I am thrilled to death that I am pain-free. So I I don't wanna go there again. I don't wanna gain any of this weight back and I sure do love my energy. (laughs) So those are four good reasons why I am totally into low carbs. (laughs) I have a couple meals that I wanna share with the audience. Um, that I enjoy Um, I make salmon patties with canned salmon and I add a beaten egg to or sometimes two uh, to the can of salmon and 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 some onion Um, I don't mix the breadcrumbs at all Um, and I fry up those and that makes four or five salmon patties so that's a good two meals for me or two meals you know if you add the second egg it almost becomes a pancake like consistency so I usually just add the one egg so it stays more formed but um, that's a good um, good meal for me and then I eat chicken rice soup okay I cook eight or more thighs or a couple of breasts in uh, 32 ounces of bone broth and 32 ounces of low sodium chicken broth and after the chicken cooks and I cut it and cutting it up I add two or three packages of cauliflower rice with the herbs and I cook the rice until it's done, which is only five minutes or so, and add the chicken. That is the most delicious soup. Um, And you use the low sodium chicken broth because the cauliflower rice and the bone broth has plenty of sodium in it. So uh, I always go with a low sodium broth. But that um, that makes eight or nine servings, and I load it with chicken. I, I use a lot of chicken. I I count that one um, serving as six carbs, but um, the cauliflower rice says one cup of cauliflower rice has six carbs. So you know I probably am not eating a whole cup of, of cauliflower rice with my serving. So it's I'm sure it's less than six carbs. But uh, it freezes well, and so those two meals are my standbys or my my last minute meals if I forget to fall out some meat or something. But um, I actually have my family members eating, making chicken rice soup with the cauliflower rice and enjoying it very much. But overall, I pretty much stick with the variety of baked and broiled meats and low carb veggies.
0: That's great. And it's nice to have a couple meals in your back pocket that you like mm-hmm. to make. And I love cauliflower rice too. So mm-hmm. I can understand, I'm gonna try that one with the, the cauliflower rice, that sounds delicious. And um, maybe we can talk a little bit, and I know listeners are always curious about this. I'm always curious about this, but, you know, you've lost a lot of weight. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your weight loss story, what your high weight was, where you are now. And I know you said you're looking to lose a little bit more weight, so you changed up your fasting schedule. Maybe you can kind of just talk us through that, that part of your story.
1: Sure. Well, my highest weight was 245. And I remember when I saw 245 the first time on the scales, I'm like, I am not going to hit 250. I am not going to hit 250. So I immediately, uh, again, tried to figure out how I could lose this weight. But I remember before IF watching a pro football game, one of my favorite teams, the North Carolina Panthers, and the announcer was talking about the players' weights. One of the players weighed 245. And I'm sitting there thinking, I weigh as much as that pro football player. I can't believe this. It was a rude awakening for me to realize that I weighed that much. (laughs) And it was really psychologically, it affected me. It motivated me to figure out a way to lose weight. Um, And that was before Ruth introduced me to IF. Um, I am currently between 167 and 169. Uh, I have been as low as 165. Um, I am uh, now 5'4", and I was 5'5 five, five to 5'6", but we do shrink as we get older.
0: Oh, we shrink- don't tell me that. I'm only 4'11". Yeah. I can't shrink. Oh,
1: no. <laughs> well, what happens is with aging, we our height shrinks, Our head continues to grow our life as does our feet. (laughs) So anyway, but um, I have been happy maintaining my uh, weight the last eight months because my lab reports are good. But as you said, um, I I am still interested in losing a little more. Uh, I have gone from size 22 and 24 slacks and 2X tops down to 14 and 16 slacks and petite medium tops. My hips have been my issue. So I look really great with my petite, medium tops. My um, my problem is right now I'm between a size 14 and 16 slacks. The 16s are a little big and the 14s are snug. So I would like to lose enough weight to get into the 14s very nicely. So actually my goal is not a weight, but my goal is Fitting nicely into 14 slacks, (laughs) and um, so I plan to maintain whatever weight that turns out to be. (laughs) I 14. I was 14 slacks in uh, high school. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So 12 and 14. So um, I'm very thrilled to be back to that for the first time in my life to be back to those weights. So wow, very good. I must admit. It has been loads and loads of fun getting rid of my large size clothes. (laughs) I'm
0: I'm sure it has been. That's, I I did the same thing. It it does feel good. I I have to agree with that. Uh, Maybe you can now talk to us a little bit about some of the non-scale victories you've had with intermittent fasting. You have quite a long list here, so maybe you can just go through a few of those.
1: Sure. Well, I'm going to start with the diabetes. Um, I no longer have this as a diagnosis, which I think I mentioned earlier. Um, and I do personally very strongly feel that is taking my pancreas three years of rest in order to totally heal and function correctly again. Snacking overworks the pancreas and wears it out. That's the bottom line. So I put my pancreas on a three year vacation <laughs> and got it back, rested healed and working again and um and that is, is a pretty simple concept you know no smacking don't let, don't let that pancreas work give that panca- pancreas a vacation so my a1c at the beginning of my fasting back in 2019 was 6.1 and as i mentioned earlier uh in april of this year it was down to 5.2 And also in August, my non-fasting blood sugar, non-fasting blood sugar was 93. Uh, When I went back and looked at the history of my labs in preparation for this, um, I only had one other reading below 100, and it it was 99. So in, in the last 10 years, I had not seen a 93 at all. So that was just really exciting for me. And of course, I no longer have hypertension. I no longer am being treated for high blood pressure. My knee replacements, um, I was down about 40 pounds for my first replacement two years ago and uh, down another 35 pounds this past March for my second one. And um, at my recovery, uh, the physical therapist both times said I was well ahead of the usual schedule for my recovery period. And I really feel like that was due to my weight loss and my energy level, increased energy level. So it really, I think, did affect my recuperation from those two knee replacements. Um, My fibromyalgia and my new diagnosis a year and a half ago, rheumatoid arthritis uh, gave me loads of pain, inflammation, fatigue, the whole nine yards. Um, but I um, really have been after recovering from the knee replacement in March have been pretty much pain-free. So um, I know for a fact, and you mentioned this earlier, that sugar and carbs play into inflammation and pain and the stiffness. Uh, When I splurge with something loaded with sugar, when I eat a whole cupcake, I know I'm going to pay for it tomorrow. Um, It's just A given fact for me. Uh, And occasionally I eat it knowing I'm going to pay for it tomorrow just to have something different for a change. So, okay, so what if I feel bad for a day as long as I just don't keep it up? So, uh, but I rarely, rarely do that because I just feel so much better with the low carb. So, angina, my angina disappeared with this weight loss. Um, I no longer experience that. All my lab tests are normal. My rheumatologist does a quarterly blood work on me because the medication I'm on can affect uh, the liver function and uh, have other side effects. So last month in August, um, I did a uh, had my quarterly lab work done. The CBC, complete blood count, is the hemoglobin and hematocrit that look at the possibility of anemia. And then the comprehensive tests are the ones that include the fasting blood sugar, the kidney function, liver function, and as well as reactive protein, which measures inflammation. And they were all normal. Um, And that's a first for me, um, totally normal. So uh, with my rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis in January of 21, uh, my inflammation level was 29 normal is zero to 10. And I'm on methotrexate to help the inflammation, but I also believe my diet played into the inflammation big time. So in May, my level was two, and in August, it was one. (laughs) And of course, that explains why I don't have the pain, because my inflammation is down. So that's great. And then I mentioned earlier that I chose to lose slowly because of my lack of elasticity in my skin and that has worked um, i do have wings in my upper arms i keep them covered with my sleeves <laughs> and i could use a tummy tuck but um uh actually the lower the carbs the smaller that tummy gets uh, and i was even when i was maintaining uh with the 60 carbs that little tummy got bigger again which is why my 14s are snug so um, so that does, the carbs do uh, play into the stomach. And of course I have more facial wrinkles, but overall I do not have sagging skin at all. Um, and that was my big concern. So by doing it slowly, the skin did catch up and stayed with me, which is really great. Uh, when I complained about my facial wrinkles to my daughter, she said she'd rather have me wrinkled and healthy than unhealthy. <laughs> And I do take collagen and that has helped uh, a little bit. So, but I mean, after all, I am 81. So anyhow, I feel much healthier now at 81 than I did when I was 60 or even 55. I wish I knew about IF back then.
0: Yeah, I, I bet you do. You, uh, you have quite a list of non-scale victories. And when I saw you, on the video, the first thing I said is I can't even believe you're 81. I mean, you look beautiful, fantastic. I you know, you look much younger than than 81 for certain. And obviously, you are in great health right now, which is the best uh, non scale victory that you could ever ask for. So Mm -hmm. that's really important. And actually, maybe on the topic of health, you know, and I'm curious to get your perspective on this, because you've had such a long history in the healthcare field. And as I understand it, you also have, you've had a family history of, of diabetes, you know, and I I hate to bring us back to this, but maybe you can just sort of give me a few quick comments on when you were diagnosed with diabetes or, you know, you were facing a lot of your health issues as a healthcare professional, as what you saw in the family. what, What were your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think I failed to mention about my family history. Um, But I had two great aunts, my grandmother's sisters, who both lost a a leg due to severe diabetes back in the 1950s or early 60s. And then my grandfather's uh, also developed diabetes in his older years. So on my mother's side, I, I had the diabetes. So I've always been aware of that history. Um, In my years in long-term care, and it was probably close to 30 years, uh, I did see a variety of problems with my patients related to diabetes. Um, I really saw it all. Um, I saw insulin shock and diabetic coma. Um, For the nursing home setting, we had many brittle diabetics, the brittle diabetics being the ones that are hard to control. So we, we did deal with both of those. Uh, I saw strokes due to diabetes, very poor eyesight, um, sores that wouldn't heal up, and neuropathy in the legs and the arms and the hands. Uh, some of those folks could not walk. They could not feed themselves. We had to feed them. And of course, the amputations. Um, the patients that come to my mind the most are the ones with the wound care, the sores that would not heal. Um, they were painful. They were um, hard hard to deal with. Um, we had to put dressings on them twice a day. We call in the wound care teams. So we did spend a lot of time with them in particular. By the way, I've recently read that 18 to 19 percent of the patients in nursing homes now are diabetics. That's one in five. But thinking back on my experience prior to 99, um, I really think the percentage was higher back then. Uh, I think education has played a major role in the last 20 years or so of improving the life of diabetics. And I want to thank you, Lucy, for this wonderful source of education and encouragement for those dealing with diabetes. This is I hope you listeners are recommending this podcast to others because you need to spread the word. Education is the name of the game in diabetes. With the proper education, you can can do this. Um, For some of us, including me, I really learn from hearing information rather than reading it. And I'm sure you've mentioned this before, Lucy, but youtube.com Has Dr. Jason Fung's videos on it. Um, And I highly recommend them. He explains everything very well. And if you go to youtube.com on your computer or your YouTube on television and just search Jason Fung, Dr. Jason Fung, F U N G, uh, you will see a long list of videos on every subject around diabetes, diabetes fasting, insulin resistance, diabetic diet plan intermittent fasting for type 2 um, there's just quite a variety and um, if you don't want to read the book obesity code then this is the way to go so and also I want to mention that with a little research you can find studies on the internet to back up fasting as a treatment for diabetes and those are what i I took my the printouts to my physician so
0: yeah, that's a, and thank you for the shout out. I appreciate that. I agree, education is the key and the more you understand, I didn't, you know, I got diabetes type one in 1997 and I, I had no understanding of what that really meant until uh, maybe 10 years ago, really, you know, I, after researching a lot on the internet, I was sort of just flying blind. I thought, you know, I need insulin, but I didn't really quite understand what the pancreas did. I'm embarrassed to admit that, but I really didn't have a great understanding. So. To your point, education is really, really important. And the more you can learn about this, the more you can learn about how you can heal your own body. So that's that's great advice. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit more about, you know, your future goals associated with your health. I know you have a couple.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's an old saying, you are what you eat. My mother used to say that 70 years ago, <laughs> and I, believe that more now than ever. I really do. I think the life expectancy of my grandchildren's generation is going to be significantly less than mine. With the fast food, the refined foods, the processed foods, and the alcohol they eat and drink, it's going to catch up with them. I really, really believe that. Um, I'm hoping that they will educate themselves before they get to that point. But my goal basically is to continue the IF indefinitely. I'm I'm very happy with my lifestyle and um, it's cheaper. I'm only paying for food for two meals instead of three. Um, And uh, my goal is to protect that pancreas and, um, and my body with low carb meals and exercise more than I have
0: the increased energy. Great, great. So you said earlier that when you do Tai Chi fast and you feel better and, and it's, it's easier for you to do, maybe you can speak a little bit about that and just some of the other exercise that you're, you're able to do.
1: Sure. Well, the pandemic messed me up with my exercise. Um, the Tai Chi classes are gone. Um, I did work out at curbs for several years before I went into the Tai Chi classes, but they, they closed. So I had to move on and find something else. Um, since I have rheumatoid arthritis, uh, which is an autoimmune disease, I am very vulnerable to COVID. Uh, and then the medication I take also reduces the effectiveness of the COVID vaccines and the boosters. So I've really been hibernating for the last two years. I have not gone into any kind of group exercise programs at all. And of course, with two bad knees and the fatigue, uh, it's been difficult to for me to be motivated to do any kind of exercise. Uh, in fact. Um, just before they quit having Tai Chi classes, it was affecting my bad knee. That was prior to my um, replacement. So so I had my last knee replacement in March, as I mentioned, and I had started walking outdoors until the heat hit us here in North Carolina. And we are just about done with that. So I'm hoping to resume walking up the street, um, probably, hopefully within the next week or so. But basically, I lost these 75 pounds without exercising. My point here is I lost 75 pounds because of what I no longer put in my mouth. And exercise did not play into my weight loss. However, we all need to exercise. And I feel sure that I would have lost more weight had I been doing something regularly. But we really do need to exercise.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, intermittent fasting is always there for you, whether you can exercise or not. I just had a surgery, and I haven't been able to exercise as much as I would like to exercise. And I agree with you. um, You know, I I've been able to maintain my weight without the exercise, but the exercise is certainly helpful if you're Mm -hmm. if you're able to do it. So I, I agree with that completely. Well, you've you've spent a you know you've been very very generous with your time. Maybe you can give us just a few closing thoughts about whether it's intermittent fasting, about your perspective on life at your age, whatever whatever you feel like talking about to close with. That's dangerous. (laughs) Whatever I can talking about.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, quite frankly, um, I really didn't think much about my age when I went into the IF lifestyle. Um, I didn't feel like I was 81 then. And now I feel like I'm 60, thanks to IF. Uh, but I, I really never even thought about my age, except in regards to the skin. So um, I was not had no fear at all of, of, of doing doing the intermittent fasting. But I also found that as a retired person and a widow, <clears throat> I had the time and the need to focus on things other than food and fasting. Um, I, I have always um, I'm not into details with this lifestyle, and um, I don't think about it a lot. But that's because I have ongoing projects, and I stay busy. So during the pandemic, especially when I had to hibernate, uh, I worked on some ongoing projects. My family helped me with this by giving me a photo frame that's hooked up to the Wi-Fi. And I have spent a lot of time scanning photos from my photo albums, into my computer and then transferring them into the frame. And I now have about a thousand pictures in my frame. I think it holds over 2000. And I love sitting in my recliner, watching my life go by through those photos. Um, You can set up how often you wanna, how long you want the picture to stay up and I have it at 10 seconds. But the memories are fantastic for the most part. I am shocked at how fat I was. I, You know, we look in the mirror and we don't see the reality of how big we are um, until we get pictures taken. And so that is one thing that I'm I'm, it's just actually it's it's encouraging me to stay on a low carb diet just to see how big I was. Um, And I've also spent a time during the pandemic writing my autobiography. Um, This has helped me get some of my favorite memories written down for my future generations, and I highly recommend it. Um, It has brought back many memories that I hadn't thought about. Um, It's helped me look at my life and see how much I did accomplish and how exciting it was and how satisfying it was. So writing an autobiography is is really a, a wonderful experience. And there are websites out there that can help one get organized on how to write their autobiography. And then as an active church member, during the pandemic, I have called members on a regular basis who live alone, um, just within our congregation. We have quite a few widows and or folks with no family members or no family members in the area or else their family members or siblings that are just the same age as they are and they can't do a lot together. So I zeroed in on those and called them on a regular basis, actually <clears throat> and, uh, communicating with one lady who's lost both of her sons and has no family in the area at all every day, twice a day, every morning and every evening. We just check in to make sure she's okay and I'm okay. So um, there's a lot of ways that we can be working with people who live alone right now, especially in the pandemic. so um, And I really would like to conclude this my part of the podcast with a recommendation. <laughs> um, after my husband died, I felt like I lost my purpose for living. I'd taken care of him for four and a half years. I've taken care of him for 48 years. <laughs> I loved him. he was my companion. He was my love of my life. And so I really felt lost. And I found a book which changed my life. Don't Let an Old Person Move into Your Body by Jim Donovan. Um, It's an excellent book. It helps one find new passions and interests. Um, And I pursued some of those um, after I read the book and, and analyzed what my passions were. And um, I I really highly recommend it. Actually, I give it as a gift to people who retire uh, because um, you just you lose your identity when you retire. You lose your identity when you lose your spouse. So you've really got to find yourself all over again. So anyhow, the book is Don't Let an Old Person Move Into Your Body by Jim Donovan. And you can find it on Amazon. I don't think it's any in print anymore, but they have, Amazon does have used copies. So, um, and I did, you know, I did discover um, not surprisingly that two of my passions were caregivers because I was a caregiver for four and a half years, three and a half of those he was at home and I was isolated. So I have reached out to the caregivers in our congregation And I also have reached out to single women Um, in our church um, between the the women who are divorced, the women who have never been married, and the widows. We call ourselves the single sisters. And from 2012 until the pandemic, uh, we would get together for holidays. We would not be invited anywhere for Fourth of July or Labor Day or Memorial Day. So we would get together those days uh, for potlucks and um, we would go to musicals and um, theater and movies together and just do fun things together, particularly on the weekends. The weekends were very hard for, uh, for most of us. So um, that is no longer happening. But out of that group, there were about 30 or 35 of us, um, a lot of small groups developed. So those women are keeping up with each other during the pandemic. So uh, I think the single sisters are pretty much gone. It's They've served their purpose, and uh, but it, it also served my purpose of having something to think about besides me.
0: Fantastic, I, I love that. And I like, obviously I like your intermittent fasting story, but I also like your overall view of life, living, giving yourself purpose. So thank you so much for sharing everything today and thank you for being an open book and just really telling it you know as you've lived it so thank you
1: well i certainly enjoyed it and i thank you for the opportunity
0: thanks so much for listening i hope you enjoyed the show if you did don't forget to rate and review the podcast and if you're interested in being a guest please email me at fast life with at gmail.com Thanks so much. Have a great day.